Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. In the first episode of Careers in Discovery for 2020, we take the show to Redcar, North Yorkshire, to speak with Ian Wilkinson, Chief Scientific Officer of Absolute Antibody. This week, I'm with Ian Wilkinson of Absolute Antibody. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to have you on board. Um, Ian, to start with, um, we were talking just before about Absolute Antibody, and um, I guess we'd start with, I'd like to start with... Um, Telling us a little bit about the company, because you've got a slightly different business model than some of the other businesses out there. Tell us what you do here. Yeah, so really we're two businesses in one. Mm -hmm. um, on one side we are uh, an antibody supplier, and on the other we are a, a contract research organisation offering services mainly to, to biopharma customers. And maybe I can kind of explain that by giving a bit of background. Sure. So we were founded by a, a group of scientists that were rather frustrated really by the lack of quality of antibodies in the reagents market. So these are antibodies being sold for use um, in research labs and diagnostics mm. labs. And what they felt is that way back in the, in the 80s in um, therapeutic antibodies, so antibodies that have been used as drugs, there'd been a massive revolution. Um, there'd been a switch from hybridoma-based technology, which is a 1970s-based technology for making antibodies, to recombinant antibodies. Right. And that really um, drove the growth of, of therapeutic antibodies. It's now a, a huge market uh, with very high quality um, products that are made. But that same shift from hybridomas to recombinant technology never took place in the reagents market. Okay. So still to this day, if you buy an off-the-shelf antibody, it's almost certainly made from hybridomas, so a mm -hmm. 1970s technology. And so what our founders wanted to do was change that. Yeah. And, uh, start a company that would bring recombinant antibody technology to the reagents market. And so that kind of covered the first part of the business, mm. becoming a, uh, a catalogue supplier of, of reagent antibodies. And then what we very quickly realised once we started the business is people were also interested in the technologies and the services um, that we developed right. to enable us to produce a catalogue. Yes. And so very quickly we started going, well, okay then, let's let's offer these services and um, become a CRO yeah. as well. So that's kind of how we've ended up becoming two companies in one. And it's, it's not quite an even split, I would, I would say the custom services side of the business has become bigger, it's probably two-thirds of, of our business now. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And, and uh, the antibodies that you produce, what are the advantages of them? What are the things that they do that these older antibodies don't do or allow you to do, or that kind of thing? So it's mainly around uh, purity and reproducibility. Mm. So because it's, it's recombinant, which is uh, essentially synthetic, right. you know exactly what you're making and you know every single time that you're getting the same product. Understood. Whereas from hybridoma technology, it's a cell-based technology, there's a lot of variability in there. You can get um, genomic changes and differences in the product. The product can suddenly drop in the yields, and so it can cause all sorts of, of headaches. Mm -hmm. um, and you just don't have those issues with a recombinant technology. It's a little bit more expensive and, and more complex, but it's a, it's a higher quality um, product. And, and really, these antibodies, they're reagent antibodies, but they're used in, in 
top quality science, they're used in clinical trials. If you're buying antibodies of unknown quality and unknown sequence, then it can potentially impact um, the work that you're doing. Sure. There was a publication a few years ago, and they tried to estimate the, the loss of money based on buying bad antibodies. And it was phenomenal. Mm. It was somewhere close to a billion dollars per year wow. that was being lost due to, to poor quality antibodies. Yes. So that's really what, what we're trying to, to fix is, is that uh, reproducibility crisis is generally known as. Yeah, understood. And so your role as Chief Scientific Officer, um, that can mean many different things to many <laughs> different companies. What, what does it mean here and what do you spend most of your time on? So I, I guess you would typically, typically expect a, a CSO has oversight of, of the science mm -hmm. of the company and, and that's true here. I, I'm involved in most of the science that goes on and, and certainly I always have an eye on the future. So I'm trying to see where will we be in three, four, five years time make sure that we are ideally ahead of our competitors and perhaps even more importantly in line with our customers' expectations. Our yes. customers are, are always changing their demands and we need to make sure that we're offering the right services and the right products mm -hmm. to, to keep up with, with that demand. But being a, a relatively small company, we're, we're now approximately 40 people, you still have a little bit of that startup mentality um, where you do a little bit of everything. Right, okay. Yeah. So, Occasionally, but not too often, I end up in the lab. I get quite heavily involved in uh, marketing discussions mm. and sales discussions um, because what we sell is, is very technical. Yes, of course. Um, so as great as our marketing team is, they, they need scientific input on, on how we sell it to scientists. Sure. And I'm involved in telecoms and face-to-face -face meetings with customers on a, on a very regular basis to have very technical disc discussions to understand what they want and then mm. I can hand that over to our sales team to price it up and, and, and provide a service to that customer. Yeah, interesting. And, and you said you're occasionally in the lab. Yeah. Do you miss it or is those days kind of behind you? Or I, I do miss it to some extent. Um, so at the start of the company I, I was exclusively lab-based and, and over time it's, it's changed and I'm, I'm now more office-based. Yes. Still, I still get the excitement of um, overseeing the science that's going on the labs in on the labs. So I still have that link mm -hmm. to the lab without necessarily doing it myself. Yeah, and, and I think that's important. If I lost that link, then I, I certainly would miss it. Mm -hmm. What I don't necessarily miss is is having to re repeat experiments again and again, <laughs> hoping hoping to get the result that you expected and, and never quite achieving it. Yes. that can become quite frustrating. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so the company's like almost seven years old now, is that yeah. is that right? Um, and you've been involved since the very early days of mm -hmm. the business. Um, so tell us a bit about, we'll get into your early career a bit later on, but tell us a bit about how you got involved and, and I guess the journey that you've been on with the business since since then. Yeah, so we have a, a group of founders that, that came up with the, the idea of the business. I, I was not a founder, I wasn't involved in, at that stage. Um, but they were all involved with other companies, they had other activities mm -hmm. going on, and although they had the, the great idea for this business, they weren't going to, to do it themselves as, right. as such. So they, they put an advert out looking for someone. Um, it was a, a very generic advert, right. essentially it was, it was a question of, do you know anything about antibodies? If so, please apply. Let's talk to you, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I was intrigued. I wasn't um, actively looking for a job. I was reasonably happy in, in the job that I was in. Mm. Um, but it, it caught my interest. I, 
I sent an email along to uh, the email address and then I got a response from the CEO at which point I thought this is a reasonably small company given that yeah, yeah. the CEO is, is responding um, we had a bit of an exchange and then I, I, I went for interview and at that point it kind of became apparent how small the company was uh -huh. and, and that really the company didn't exist other than on paper and that I would be employee number one mm -hmm. and I just found that really exciting yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that's a that's a great opportunity it was a, a big risk I was leaving a reasonably secure job you were with Medimune before yes I was, yeah. I was with, with Medimune so I was leaving a, a reasonably secure and well-paid job mm -hmm. to go to a startup company that had enough money to maybe last a year yeah and so there was a there was a huge risk in that um, but I also saw it as a, a massive opportunity and a massive opportunity to see something that I'd never really seen before in that yes I would be involved in the science but I'd also be involved in in building a business uh, and all the elements that go with that mm. web design marketing sales things I had no experience of in. course and it, I, I love watching The Apprentice okay and it, it it was almost like an opportunity to do that in real life. <laughs> yeah, I see. Uh, without Alan Sugar kind of badgering you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I took it on yeah. and um, and we grew from there. So I was on my own for the first six months or mm -hmm. so. Um, in that time, we were fortunate enough to get um, some extra money from Innovate UK. We applied for a grant uh, and got that. So that meant we had a little bit more time. Sure. Um, before we ran out of money. And it probably took most of those six months to get the basic lab processes up and running and do some early uh, proof of principle experiments. Mm -hmm. And those were absolutely critical. We had to show that we could manufacture antibody um, to a certain quality and um, at an economical scale um, to show that we basically had a business. Yeah, of course. If, if we couldn't manufacture it, antibody um, in sufficient quantities and cheaply enough then it was a non-starter um, and it was probably six months before we had data to show that we could do that at which point we uh, we started looking for additional investment and we mm. got some some more investment which um, took a little bit of the pressure off to some extent and it was at that point that we kind of started opening up and, and really starting to sell some some products yeah um, and it started slowly um, you start with a few customers and, and gradually by word of mouth you, you gain more. Um, but really after maybe 12 to 18 months it really started to pick up quite dramatically in a way that we hadn't really anticipated. Right. You, you always write a business plan and you, you, you hope for the best. Sure. Um, but our, our numbers were outperforming any plan that we'd ever written. Mm. Um, which was phenomenal. Yeah but creates its own headaches. Of course. Suddenly you're behind the curve and suddenly you've got more customers than you expected. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough lab staff, mm -hmm. you don't have enough lab space uh, and, and that's a, a different headache. Yes. I guess it's a nicer headache than the opposite <laughs> way around, um, but it, it is a headache. Yes, of course. And, and so we started the company down in Oxford um, and by about 18 months it was clear that there wasn't enough space. Mm. There wasn't enough space on the science part we were at and there was also very limited space on any of the science parks in and around Oxford. Yeah, okay. They had waiting lists of one year's, two years minimum. Right. And that's just not, it's not workable. As a small growing business, you can't sit on a waiting list for two years. Mm. So we, we looked around, uh, eventually found the, the site that we're at now in the, in the northeast, 
Um, it's a, a large science site, a former ICI headquarters. It's, it's huge. It's half a million square foot, I think. Mm -hmm. And they had corridor upon corridor of lab space, half of which was empty. Right. And um, the facility manager that, that showed us around was very generous and said, look, we can see that you're a growing business. We're quite happy to reserve half a corridor of space for you. And at that time, we didn't need half a corridor. We sure. needed a fraction of a corridor. Um, so we started in that small fraction of a corridor. And then pretty much annually, we doubled in size right. from, from that point onwards. And we now occupy a whole corridor. Mm -hmm. um, so we've, we've grown probably, in terms of footprint, we've probably grown five or six fold in the four or five years that, that we've been at this site. Yeah. So it's been a really uh, exciting journey from your sense of it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, and we'll come back to that as well and the things that have happened along the way and, mm -hmm. and what you've learned from them and, and we'll take that from your career as a whole. But I guess one question I did have was going from a company like Medimmune, big multinational company with lots going on and plenty of lab space and equipment, I'm sure, and mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. What were the things that were most surprising for you coming to a startup business or, or the things that you remember about it? I don't know about surprising. Uh, certainly, there was suddenly a freedom. Okay. Uh, there's zero bureaucracy. And um, every decision was, was pretty much my decision. Mm -hmm. um, there was no lab meetings. There was, there was really nobody other than the board of directors yeah. for me to, to speak to and, and, and um, make any decisions. So I, I, I had suddenly a huge amount of freedom, which, which I found really exciting. It could have been a good thing. It could have been a bad thing. Yeah and suddenly it meant all the pressure was, was on you to, to make the right decisions. Um, but what it, it gave you was freedom and speed. Suddenly you can make decisions extremely quickly. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go via a team meeting or send emails off to people to get authorization. So I, I found that extremely rewarding. Um, the challenge is, is the loneliness the, the, sure. the lack of lack of support network. Our, our board of directors and scientific advisors were, were fantastic, but they're not there on a no, of daily course, basis. Of course. Whereas at, at a company like, like Medimmune, you've got thousands of, of colleagues that you can call upon um, with expertise covering the whole field of, of bioscience. Mm. And, and I didn't really have access to, to any of that. No. Um, but you find ways to work around that. You, you think outside the box a little bit, you um, try new things, mm. um, and I found that incredibly, incredibly rewarding. I'm yeah. not sure if I could go back to a large company now. No, I, I hear a lot of people say that, and I suppose the freedom of being able to say, well, do we have to do it that way, or actually, yeah. could we do it like this, <clears throat> is, is quite, um, it's a lot of responsibility, but it's quite liberating if you, if you enjoy that responsibility, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, so people who listen to the podcast regularly will know that we like to go right back to the very beginning of people's careers. Um, and so I'd be really interested to hear, Ian, your, your early memories of being interested in science or where the, where the spark of this career came from, I suppose. So I, I don't know if I can pinpoint the, the, <laughs> the spark, um, but certainly I, I was always very curious as a, as a child. Yeah. I always wanted to know how and why things worked. And if I think back maybe to when I was six, seven, I, I, I vividly remember being given a scientific encyclopedia. I don't know whether it was a birthday or a, or a Christmas. Um, but I found that incredibly fascinating 
because it was it was very descriptive in, in how things worked. It, it would talk about why the sky's blue, why the grass is green. Um, it even talked about in vitro fertilization, which right. I didn't really understand as a seven-year-old. Yes. But but it was incredibly descriptive, uh, and and I, I found that um, really interesting. Like I said, I, I wanted to know how and why things work. Mm-hmm. And then probably a few years later than that, when I was eleven. I remember getting our, our first computer. You know, back then, you didn't have computers at an early age. Yeah, yeah. A, an Amiga, which may mean something to some people. Yeah, I remember. And and although there were a few games on it, the two things that, that really stick in my memory is, is one, Encarta, mm-hmm. uh, the, the encyclopedia on a CD-ROM. Yes. And I must have used that for every piece of homework that, yeah. that, that I did. I, I guess You're not these, the only one, yeah. These days, I, I guess people use Wikipedia, but, uh-huh. but for me, it was Encarta. And then I remember a space, um, I'll call it a game, but it was very educational. You'd, you'd go around and you'd, you'd play different games on different planets, but you would learn something about each of the different planets, okay. so, such as Mercury is closest to the sun, but it's not the hottest planet. Venus is hotter. Things like that. And that... I, I found fascinating, and that really got me interested in cosmology, mm. um, which is not the career I've, I've taken. But if I was going to take another career path, that would probably be it. Yes, I, I'm still fascinated by anything to do with space. If there's a Horizon program on on the planets or on the Big Bang or anything like that, I'll be watching it. Yeah, it, it fascinates me. Um, so I think those those are the things that, and, the, and probably the one other thing was was a chemistry teacher. Okay. So I think teachers probably had a big impact on on the career decisions I made. Mm. And I had a phenomenal chemistry teacher, Mr. Sagar, um, at secondary school from the age of 11. And he made chemistry exciting. So he, he would have explosions going on in yeah. the lab, he would freeze bananas, he would do all the kind of classic things uh-huh. um, that you can do in a chemistry lab. But that I found engaging. And, and if I'm engaged and excited by something, then I, I, I do much better at it. Yes. Um, so that really got me interested in, in chemistry. I, I kind of already had an interest in physics from the kind of cosmology um, interest. It was, it was later that biology came in, and, and I, I can't really pinpoint why. Mm. Um, maybe it was, at my school, it was if you were good at science, then you became a doctor. Okay. So I don't know whether there was a, a push there from push my school. Push towards it, yeah. And, and it's you know, probably from the age of 13 or 14, if you'd asked me then, what are you going to become? I would have said, I'll, I'll become a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. And it was really quite late that that, that changed. And, and suddenly, it was during my A-levels, I was starting to think about applying for university. And I suddenly thought, I don't want to be a doctor. Right. I maybe want to do a PhD, yeah, but I don't want to be a medical doctor. And I think the reason for that is that because I've always been interested in how things work, why they work, I saw doctors as, as being able to apply the technologies and the drugs that other people have developed. Mm. You know, doctors are fantastic. Yes. But they're not developing the next technology or the next drug. Of course, yeah. And, and I thought to myself, well, that's what I want to do. Mm. I want to be that person. Okay, you don't have the direct uh, contact with the patient, but you could argue that you can potentially impact a greater number of people if sure, you develop yeah. a, a drug that goes on to save lives. 
So was it that early that it was drug discovery, or did that come a bit later on? I don't know if it was definitely drug discovery, but mm -hmm. it was certainly something I was I was thinking about from from that age. Okay. And was there any influences on that? I mean, you mentioned that sort of you saw this opportunity to have an impact on more people, but also to get involved in the inventive of the technology. But do you remember anything having an influence on that? Anything you saw or? No, I don't. I don't think there's there's okay. anything specific. Yeah. That that influenced that. There, there probably was. I just, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't recall that. Sure. It's amazing how many people we have um, who their interest was sparked by an interest in space, actually. Really. Um, and then end up in a career in biology. Yeah. And, and I guess, um, you know, biology is quite a different science to the other sciences mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, isn't it? So it's interesting that transition. But so you, you went and did. You ended up studying structural biology and protein biochemistry. Um, so tell us, tell us a bit about that, and then about your sort of step into into industry. Yeah, so I, I started at the University of Nottingham, did a, mm -hmm. a bachelor's in biochemistry and genetics. Yeah, I quickly realised that I didn't enjoy most aspects of that degree. Unfortunately, okay. it, it was very um, formulaic and very here's the pathways this is what happened, this interacts with this, and then you end up with this disease. Mm. And although that was interesting to some extent, what I was more interested in is, well, how do you know that protein X interacts with protein Y? Right. Rather than just telling me that it happens, I, I want to know why. Why, what, yeah. What techniques did you do to determine that? Um, and, and I didn't get any of that from my degree. Mm. So it kind of taught me what more about what I was interested in and what I wasn't interested in. And so I, I then went and did a, a master's in applied biomolecular technology, which is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but really what that meant is is I was learning about the techniques that, that people use to understand these different interactions. Um, learning about the structures of molecules, but also in, learning about what interacts with what and, and, and the consequences of that. And I found mm. that much more interesting. And I also on that on that masters had the opportunity to do a, a three month industrial placement with a, a biotech company, and and that was probably the thing that really solidified for me that industry was was where I needed to go. Right. And um, and, and it was biotech really that that was was for me. And the two areas of particular interest on the masters for me were structural biology mm -hmm. and antibodies. Um, I was fascinated by both, and this was back in the the early two thousands. And at that time, antibodies were showing some promise in, in right. uh, as drugs, but but certainly wasn't the hundred million dollar or hundred hundred billion dollar market that it now is. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I could see at that stage that there was potential, and I was intrigued by it. And then I I came across a, a PhD opportunity at the University of Leicester. That essentially combined both of those yes. um, interests. It was it was doing structural biology on antibodies, and it was funded by UCB. So it also meant that I I, I still kept that link with with industry. Sure. And I I, I loved my PhD. I, I had uh, three and a half fantastic years, um, enjoying the science um, in an academic setting, but also getting exposure to to industry. I spent mm. probably three or four months in in labs at UCB, wow, okay. seeing what was going on there. Great. And, and again, really crystallizing that, that as much as I enjoyed um, academic science, that really the best place for me was, was in industry. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, so on, on completing my PhD, the um, economic crash hit. Okay, good timing. And, yeah. and so <laughs> the, there was very limited job opportunities. Yes. Um, so I, I had hoped that I'd be able to stay on with, with UCB, mm. um, but unfortunately it didn't happen. But I was fortunate enough that um, Medimmune were advertising a, a one-year postdoc um, down in, in Cambridge. So I, I was given that opportunity. Yes. Um, kind of grabbed it with, with both hands. Sure, yeah. Um, again, it was um, antibody engineering, structural biology related. And um, obviously did enough in that one year to impress them. And they, they offered me a, a full-time contract um, at the end of that. And then I kind of moved on to more drug discovery uh, type projects, both antibody and, and non-antibody um, projects. Um, all very early stage research, mm -hmm. um, developing new drugs, engineering the, the proteins to see if you can have uh, higher activity or functionality in, in whatever disease area we, we were targeting. Yeah, I see. And then I guess, and then obviously you were there for a while before moving here. Um, and then I, from, a, from a career point of view, um, maybe difficult to narrow it down to a few things, but <laughs> what are the things you think you've learned about, um, you know, what people should know about careers in industry or what people should know moving from academia or, or just the lessons you've learned along the way, I suppose, from a career perspective? So let me try and answer the first part. Sure, yeah, of course. Differences between academia and industry. I think in both settings are very science driven. Mm -hmm. I think there's um, often a bit of a myth about, about industry and other things that go on in industry. And, and most of that isn't true. Yeah. A lot of the work that goes on, industry, on in industry is, is very science driven, the, the same as academia. The difference is is the targets and the speed with which you need to hit those targets mm -hmm. and the uh, the penalties if you don't hit those targets uh, and it's very much more um, goal driven and mm. orientated in, in industry than it is in, in academia um, not to say that they don't have targets but they're often uh, longer term targets sure whereas in industry you need to achieve you know, something within the next three months and then three months after that and, and keep going because although a drug discovery project is a is a long term initiative, it's ten to fifteen years from start of a project to potential approval, you're in a race against your competitors. Yeah, of course. And yeah. so you need to make sure that you're hitting all of your targets uh, along that way. Mm -hmm. And that's something I, I enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 not for everyone. Um, some people are more suited to academia than, than industry, and, and vice versa. And I don't think that that's meant with any. Uh, with any insult behind it, it's just, sure. it's just the way yeah. different personalities uh, work. And then, more broadly, what, what have I learned? Um, so I, I think I've learned not to be afraid. And okay. I'm, I'm very introverted in, in my nature. And, and certainly early in my career, I would um, kind of freeze from fear of, of speaking up, speaking against someone, um, saying that I thought I had a better idea than someone, right. uh, challenging, what, th those kind of things I, I found um, very difficult to deal with. Uh, and eventually I just, I, I didn't quite wake up one day and, and feel I've got to change, but I guess over time I, I felt that really if I'm going to advance in my career, I, I've got to find my own voice. Mm. And, I, and I've got to speak up and, and challenge people. You've got to do it in the right way, obviously. Of course, yeah. 
Um, but if you don't put your hand up in a meeting and, and say what you think, then nobody knows about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's that's something I would definitely encourage people to do is mm. if you've got an idea, speak up about it and don't be afraid to fail. Um, so I think that was the other fear I had is I've got an idea, I don't know if it'll work, so I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. Whereas now I'll have an idea, I'll be honest, I'll say I don't know if this is going to work, but if enough people around this table think it's a reasonable idea, then let's give it a go. Yes. And if we fail, it's not your fault. Don't take science personally. Um, you don't always understand, especially in biology, cells are, are they're a beast on themselves, <laughs> and they, they don't always make sense. Yeah. So something you sometimes you just got to accept that that science fails, and if you're lucky, you might be able to understand from that failure, learn from it, and then come up with your next idea. Mm -hmm. um, but you've got to have that. Um, determination in the first place to, to give it a go. Yeah, I suppose it must be difficult sometimes in those situations to figure out was it a bad idea or did we just not execute it very well? Yeah, yeah, it's I, often in hindsight you go, okay, we didn't quite do it right, mm. uh, let's do it again. Sometimes you all sit around a table and you're, you're baffled right? and you don't have a clue what's going on. And I, I've sat on some projects like that and and you never know what's happened. Yeah. You just have to drop it and let it go. Yeah. So I suppose courage is kind of the theme you're talking about a little bit there. Is I think so, yeah. Not just standing up for yourself, but also having the courage to put an idea forward, try things yeah. out. To, it's, to it's, fail. it's what science is. Yeah. Isn't it? You're meant to push the boundaries of, uh, of knowledge, and so you've got to have a little bit of courage to do that. Yeah. It's okay to not always know if it's going to work, or be yeah. sure if it's going to work. Absolutely. It's interesting you point around speaking up as well. I think... One of the things I always think about is that one of the things I wish I'd done more of early in my career is been stronger in certain situations or voiced an opinion in certain situations. Mm -hmm. I think often when you're early in your career, it's it's intimidating to do that, isn't it? It is, and it's 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 very difficult. Mm. Um, and and I wouldn't encourage anyone to just go shouting around. No. In, in, in meetings. <laughs> You've got to do it in in the right way, and and it's it's different for different people. And I think that's something. Having gone through that experience myself, I, I try to incorporate that in the way I manage people. Mm. Is that a meeting isn't the right setting for everyone. And, and, and there True. are some people that won't voice an opinion in a meeting. So if you've got a good manager, you would hope that they will realize that and they will give people different opportunities to voice things, whether it's in a one-to-one you know, -one discussion, via email, you know, there's, there's numerous mechanisms of, of having your voice heard. Mm. Um, You've got just got to find what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you've found that helps you to, to in those situations, or helped you previously in those situations? I don't know if there's anything specific, and, and some of it probably just came about through age and, and through you know once I've been at Medimmune a, a few years, had a little bit more experience than mm. you you naturally gain a little bit more confidence than you have on, on day one. Yeah. So I think some of it would have just been that natural progression yeah. rather than, than anything specific that, that I did. So next time I'm going to say something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things I was really interested in your view on, Ian, sorry, given the Given the work that you do, you, you speak to lots and lots of companies, um, and you know there's there's a huge amount of um, 
innovation in antibody research. There's a huge amount of, of different um, technologies being developed, different approaches, and different thinking about, about pharmaceuticals and biotech and, and drug development, drug discovery. What are the things that are exciting for you in the biotech sector at the moment? Are there, are there particular trends or technologies or things that you look at and think, wow, that, that's really exciting? So I'm obviously going to come back to antibodies. Of course, it's, yes. It's, it's, it's what I do. But antibodies went through a, well, the, the first kind of proof of concept was really in the, in the 80s where the first antibody was a, a approved as a, as a drug. But really, if you look back, it was as early as the early 1900s when people were proposing that antibodies could be what they called magic bullets. Mm. Um, so drugs that could specifically target, they were mainly thinking cancer and, and sure. help remove, remove cancer. Then it was the 1980s when uh, the first antibody was approved on the market. But then there was a real big lag period. And it wasn't until the mid-90s and early 2000s where it really started to pick up and, and you got several approvals per year of, of new drugs. And so there was a, a first wave of antibodies that, that came onto the, the market. And what I kind of feel we're on the, the verge of is, is a second wave of antibodies okay. that, that are coming through. So over the last... 10, 20 years, a lot of people have been engineering antibodies. So that, that first wave of antibodies were fairly classical vanilla antibodies. They haven't had much engineering done to them. The last 10, 20 years, people have been doing a lot of engineering to increase specificity, mm. activity of the antibodies, um, the format of the antibodies, uh, no longer are we just dealing with antibodies that bind to one target, we now have multi-specific antibodies mm -hmm. that can bind multiple targets either on the same cell or bring different cells um, together. And there's a lot of these multi-specifics, um, antibody drug conjugates and, and other novel formats that are currently in clinical trials. Yes. And there's, there's hundreds if not thousands of these clinical trials that are, that are currently running at phase one through to, to three. And I think in the next five to ten years we'll see a a real big surge in this in this next wave of, of antibodies, and, mm. and these these will be phenomenal drugs. They'll, they'll be life changing for many people in in many many different indications. Yes. Um, so I think it's a really exciting time to be involved in in biopharma. And, and I can feel that excitement as you talk about that. Um, is that still what sort of gets you going? Um, about yep. your work, the the, the the opportunity to have an impact and the excitement of the new technology. It, it, it is. It, it's it's the excitement in the in the science yep. and the potential of that science. So, working at Absolute Antibody, I, I'm no no longer directly um, involved in drug discovery projects. It's it's not in my hands. Sure. But what I now have is the opportunity to work with potentially any company in the world on their drug discovery projects, and so I get much greater exposure. To, to what's going on around the world, what all these novel companies are, are, are doing with different drug discovery projects. Uh, and so I, I find that really exciting. Yeah. I, I get to learn about what everyone's doing, um, try and help them in a, in a very small way. We, we only offer a reasonably niche number of services at early stage research, but I get a glimpse of, of what everyone's doing yeah. at, at those different um, stages. And I, I find that um, incredibly re rewarding. Yeah. And I suppose it gives you a, a different perspective as well in that, um, you know, when you're running a set of discovery programs or a dis specific discovery program, of course, 99% of your focus is going to be on mm -hmm. that, right? Whereas you get to sort of see what everybody is doing yeah. or a lot of people are doing. And I suppose that, that helps in terms of advising 
as to what's out there or different options or things yeah. that people can think about. A, a lot of what I what I do is is provide um, advice and, and guidance to, to our customers based on on the experience I, I have from MediMune and, and from the, the customers that, that mm -hmm. uh, we've interacted with. Obviously, I can't pass information from, sure, of from one customer to another, but you can learn kind of generic learnings and, and, mm. and um, improve our processes and, and help our, our other customers with, yeah. with those things. And, and you've talked a little bit about where the business is at now um, and the start of the business. What's next? Where, where's Absolute Antibody going? What, what's the plan? So, to some extent, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's incredibly difficult to predict how fast we'll grow. Right. Best, best on past experience, we're, we're a different company almost every six months because okay. of the, the speed with which we've grown. It's, it's been almost exponential for the last seven years. Uh, you can't necessarily expect that we'll, we'll maintain that kind of growth continuously. Um, but really, it's, it's a case of, of, of bigger and, and, and better. Um, we work with, with a lot of different customers around the world, but by no means are we speaking to and, and working with everyone that's no. out there. There's, there's a, a phenomenal number of, of, of companies that are, are working in the, in the biotech sector, mm. and, and we only touch a reasonably small proportion uh, of, of that. Um, so there's, there's plenty of, of room for growth. There are new services we'd, we'd love to offer. Um, some of which we're working on at the moment, some of which you know, we'll look to work on in, in, in the future. We're yeah. always trying to continually improve what we do, and improve is, is quite a vague word, but it, it can capture really anything. It, it could be increase the speed of, of our services, increase um, the margins of our services or the cost to the customer, decrease the cost to the customer, ideally. Um, improve, improve the quality and the consistency. Mm. We're working on, on every potential angle to, to make sure that, that what we do meets our customers' expectations. Yeah. Because we, we always face the challenge, especially with the larger customers. If you, you know, try and work with the likes of MedImmune, GSK, Pfizer, then the argument is always, why shouldn't they do it in-house? Mm -hmm. They have the labs, they have the scientists. You've got to prove that what you're going to do is going to be at least as good as what they would do if they did it in-house. Right. And so that's the challenge that, that we're facing, is that they're always pushing ahead. They're, they're multi-billion dollar companies. Sure, of course. And we've got to try and keep up with that pace mm. and make sure that, that we're offering a, something of, of comparable quality. Yeah. And, and clearly, you know, the technology is strong and there's demand for it and that's been um, shown in the growth of the business so far. Um, is there anything else you'd attribute that growth to? Is there anything else you think that, that you and Absolute Antibody have done really well as a business? So we've, we've always been science driven. Yeah. Um, our founders are our scientists, uh, our board of directors is, is made up, um, probably 70% of them are, are scientists. Um, and it wasn't really until probably four or five years into the company before we got our first salesperson. Okay. So it, it was me. I, yeah. I was our salesperson. So our, our first point of contact for any customer was always a scientist. Mm. And so now we do have a sales team, but you're, you're only still one step away from, from being in touch with a scientist. Yes. So I, I work very closely with our sales team. And I think, I think our customers enjoy that. They, they come to you wanting a, a, a scientific service, and the questions they're going to ask are going to be extremely technical. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, without meaning to discredit some of our competitors, they will have a more traditional approach where you have a sales team, yeah. you will you'll set up a, a meeting with a salesperson. Most scientists don't want that. Mm. They, they want to get down and talk about the science. Uh, and, and we try to get to that point as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's really helped the company help the company grow. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think you know you you're understanding the the highly technical nature of your audience and connecting them with the people who have the expertise that they need. Right. Yeah, and that's that's what it comes down to. Um, so my final question, um, and we may have covered this already, so it's fine if it's something that we've already talked about. Um, and we talked a lot about um. Uh, some different parts that could come into this but for people who are maybe setting out on their career in industry or, or in the early days of that that part of their working life um, might be difficult to boil it down to one but if, the, if there was one piece of advice you could give or one thing you wish you'd known when you started out what, what would that be? So it's, it's, it's quite simple because it's it's pretty much the, the piece of advice that I give anyone that, that starts here and, and don't accept the status quo mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is is throughout my career I've found it incredibly frustrating if I go into a lab and, and try to learn a technique and I ask why do you do it this way and the answer is well this is the way we've always done it mm. and, I, I, and I'll then go back with well you know somebody's just published this have you thought about doing that and they're like no no we always do it this way because it works and that drives me mad <laughs> you know, scientists should always be pushing to do things better whatever better means sure faster quicker cheaper um, and not just accepting that well this is the way that I was shown how to do it and the person that taught me was shown how to do it I, that's not good enough for, yeah. for me um, but scientists a lot of scientists get very comfortable in 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 what they're doing and, and they may be pushing a drug discovery project but they're not thinking about each of the individual individual mm. techniques that they're using in that in that process and so what I've always tried to do with my teams at, at Medimmune and, and now here at Absolute Antibody is give them the freedom to, to think and to try new things. Yeah. Now obviously you can't do it in every single setting. If you're in a GMP environment or an ISO certified lab, then, then you have certain restrictions. But even with those restrictions, there are still ways and means of researching to see if you can find a better way of doing something. Mm -hmm. And I would I would always encourage people to to do that. To think, am I doing this the best way I can? Yes. And not just accept that, that this is how I was shown how to do it. So it's the way I will do it until the end of time. I think I think it's Great advice for scientists, but great advice more generally as well. <laughs> um, Ian, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery, and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.